0: O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. And on behalf of my colleagues in ministry and our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, I bid you welcome this Ascension Sunday morning. Whether you are present here in the nave with with us, listening live on WBUR 90.9 FM throughout New England or listening over the internet at WBUR.org or to the podcast later, be welcome in this place. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. O God, Sovereign of Glory, you have exalted Jesus Christ with great triumph to your realm in heaven. We earnestly ask you, leave us not comfortless, but send your Holy Spirit to strengthen and exalt us to the place where our Savior Christ is gone before, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Christ died to sin once for all and now lives to God. Let us renew our resolve to have done with all that is evil and confess our sins in penitence and faith. Risen and ascended, Lord, as we rejoice at your triumph, fill your church on earth with power and compassion, that all who are estranged by sin may find forgiveness and know your peace. To the glory of God. Amen.
1: Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 104 with the antiphon. There go the the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it.
2: These all look to you, to to give give them their food in due season.
1: When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things.
2: When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust.
1: When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground.
2: May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works.
1: Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke.
2: I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have need.
1: May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord.
2: Let sinners be soon from the earth and let the wicked be no more bless the lord my soul
1: praise the lord glory, glory to, to the father and to the son and to and the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen
3: A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. For I am about to create new heaven and a new earth. The former thing shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For no one who dies at for one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, but they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food, shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
4: A lesson from the Revelation to St. John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Phew! Thanks be to God that's over with. It is tempting to say that we unceremoniously threw the class of 2017 out last weekend, except for the small matter of all of that ceremony. Nevertheless, having dispensed with the class of 2017, we now shift gears to welcome the class of 2021. Welcome, New Terriers. Perhaps, however, before shifting our gaze entirely to what comes next, we would do well to pause, just briefly, and consider what precisely it was that we accomplished last weekend. Most obviously, the ceremonies of commencement transformed the members of the class of 2017 from students into graduates, and thus alumni, of Boston University. Ostensibly, this is a transformation from those who learn into those who know. It is a change of social status from one social category to another. Alas, there is a not-so-small problem with this analysis. And it was eloquently addressed by our baccalaureate speaker, Dr. Mario Molina, from this pulpit last week. Did you hear it? He said, The notion that what you learned in college is sufficient for your future work was an acceptable point of view in the past, but it is no longer valid. The big change as you are all probably aware, is that you have to continue learning throughout your career. This means that perhaps the most important skill you should have acquired in college is how to learn, how to become motivated to keep learning, that is, how to become a lifelong learner. So, what really happened last weekend, then, is that in enacting the rituals of commencement, we told over 6,000 people that they were finished, that they had accomplished something, that they could check that box off their to-do list and move on. And in so doing, we lied to them. In point of fact, though, it should not be so surprising that we cast graduation as a shift between binary categories. After all, the whole system, model, and structure of the modern university is inherited from those born in medieval Europe at the height of Christendom. And Christianity, since its inception, has cultivated such dualisms at the center of its self-understanding. Consider the texts that were read just a few minutes ago. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The same dualistic view is replete in the Gospels as well. Hear then these words appended to the Gospel according to Mark by later editors, drawing from the rest of the Gospels' accounts of the resurrection. Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that accompanied it. Belief versus unbelief, saved versus condemned, living water versus a lake of fire, new heaven and a new earth versus first heaven and first earth, filled with good versus returned to the dust. To be sure, Paul tells us that there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. But this is in the wider context of the dichotomy between those who belong to Christ and those imprisoned under the law. It is perhaps not entirely surprising that an apocalyptic movement imminently expecting Jesus' return, accompanied by very real physical and socio-political consequences, would schematize life in such a dualistic fashion. Surely it has been the theological work of centuries to soften, temper, and reinterpret the harshness of these apocalyptic binaries. And yet, here we are in 2017, 500 years after the start of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther's emphatic principle of sola scriptura, that scripture is the sole authority for faith and practice, a principle, alas, that has not aged terribly well. Too often, sola scriptura becomes the basis of biblical literalism or even bibliolatry, an excuse for intolerance and exclusion, and thus reinforces apocalyptic dualisms. Should we celebrate the Reformation? Yes, but let us do so with eyes wide open, attentive to the full range of its lasting effects. The problem with these dichotomies, these binaries, these either-or formulations, is that they leave no room for the process of growth, for transformation over time for the period of change, for development. Alas, the mismatch between dualistic categories and our lived experience of ongoing, incremental growth and development is quite painful. Spiritually painful. Existentially painful. Perhaps you have experienced this. I have. Perhaps you have been told that your faith is lukewarm. I have. Perhaps you have been told that you are not fervent enough. I have. Perhaps you have been told that your belief is unorthodox. I have. Perhaps you have been told that your soul is in peril. I have. Perhaps you have been told that who you are or what you believe is not adequate for heaven, and so you must be damned to hell. I have. Or perhaps your experience of the misfit of dualistic categories appears in the form of an imposter syndrome. Perhaps you were baptized, but harbored doubts. Perhaps you were confirmed, but still had questions. Perhaps you were ordained in spite of suspicion of the church. Perhaps you were asked to teach, but have barely read the Bible. Perhaps you were asked to lead, but worry that you yourself are already off the path. Perhaps you were asked to testify, but have only brokenness to offer. Perhaps you were honored for uprightness, but are all too aware of your own iniquity. The good news of Jesus Christ for you and for me is this. Congratulations! You are normal. You are human. Christ is with you. And Christ has sent, is sending, will send the Holy Spirit to lead you and me through an ongoing process of growth and development into all truth and the full measure and stature of Christ. But how can we hear this saving word amidst the dualistic cacophony? How can we swim in this river of saving grace when the waters have been divided to the left and the right? Dear friends, it may not be possible to hear what the Spirit is saying, to reunite the divided waters by merely abiding in our present communities and reading the same text. It may be that in order to hear the still, small voice calling us to become as Christ, we must move beyond the din and find another body of water in which to immerse ourselves for a time. It may only be when we look back from afar that we can see the seeds and sprouts, the fresh growth to which we are otherwise oblivious. In our native land. Hear, then, these words from the third century before the Common Era from Chinese scholar Shunzi from his Exhortation to Learning. Learning. Where should it begin and where should it end? I say, Its proper method is to start with the recitation of the classics and conclude with the reading of the rituals. Its real purpose is first to create a scholar and in the end to create a sage. If you genuinely accumulate and earnestly practice for a long time, then you will become an initiate. Learning continues until death, and only then does it stop. Thus, though the methods employed to learn come to a conclusion, the purpose of learning must never, even for an instant, be put aside. Those who undertake learning become men. Those who neglect it become as wild beasts." Truly, the documents contain the record of governmental affairs. The odes set the correct standards to which pronunciations should adhere. The rituals contain the model for the primary social distinctions and the categories used by analogical extension for the guiding rules and ordering norms of behavior. Accordingly, when learning has been perfected in the rituals, It has come to its terminus. Surely this may be called the culmination of the way and its power. The reverence and refinement of the rituals, the concord and harmony of the music, the breadth of the odes and documents, the subtlety of the annals. All the creations of heaven and earth are completed in them. Learning, growing, developing, changing, transforming is a process both life-giving and lifelong. As is said of Confucius in the Analects, the Master said, At fifteen I set my heart, mind upon learning. At thirty I took my place in society. At forty I became free of doubts." At 50, I understood heaven's mandate, at 60, my ear was attuned, and at 70, I could follow my heart's desires without overstepping the bounds of propriety. What do we learn from this wisdom from China? What is different from the view of life as a series of binary transformations— We learn the age-old lesson not to mistake the forest for the trees. Yes, there are moments in life when we can recognize, can feel, can express the difference between our former selves and ourselves as we are now, but these moments are signposts along the way of a much longer journey not destinations or achievements in and of themselves. Salvation comes in the accumulation of wisdom, of insight, of understanding, of attunement, not all at once in a single step. Salvation is following the path demarcated by the Spirit, led and prodded along by the Spirit into all truth not the appropriation of truth in a single grasp, which must inevitably be partial, limited, and fleeting. The question then is not whether or not you have achieved salvation or spiritual fullness, but whether you are undertaking the journey and process of growth and development or standing still, mired in place. The week before Mother's Day, my older daughter made a gift for her mother, my wife. Happy anniversary, love. When I picked her up from child care, she made us whisper the entire way home so that my wife, who was not even with us, would not find out about the gift as it was supposed to be a secret. That Saturday, the day before Mother's Day, she ran into our room and woke us, waving the gift in the air, exclaiming, I made you a Mother's Day present, Mommy, but it's a surprise! Now this lack of clarity about the nature and proper revelation of a secret is endearing and amusing in a four-year-old. But that very endearment and amusement is in part rooted in the fact that we can expect the child to grow, develop, and mature into a fuller understanding and stature. Sadly, we in the United States, and perhaps especially in the past week, everyone around the globe, must suffer under the ongoing denigration of leadership, of virtue, of statecraft, and of humanity by one who views the path of learning and growth and development as beneath him. As Sunza rightly points out, those who undertake learning become men, those who neglect it become as wild beasts. This summer at Marsh Chapel, our annual sermon series takes up the theme of new directions in discipleship. Christian disciples are students learning what it means to follow Jesus. Unlike secular models of education, however, there is no graduation from the school of discipleship. Instead, discipleship is a lifelong process of learning, growing, maturing, and developing. But so, too, it is a process of the finite approximating the infinite, a process that can never come to a final conclusion in the finitude of life. Learning continues until death, and only then does it stop. Thus, though the methods employed to learn come to a conclusion, the purpose of learning must never, even for an instant, be put aside. Today we observe the feast of the ascension of Jesus, transposed from this past Thursday, which was 40 days after Easter. Jesus is back in heaven, having descended from heaven in the incarnation at Christmas, descended further into hell on Good Friday, been resurrected from the dead on Easter, and now, at last, ascended back to heaven. Good news! The story is over. A happy ending. But no, the story is not over. Next Sunday is Pentecost, when we celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, who will lead us into all truth. We are not done. We are unfinished. As we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension, then, let us recognize it for the signpost it is along our journey of lifelong learning and discipleship. A sign pointing us to the very need for our ongoing development. Amen.
4: Please be seated. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, lead me Lord. Of life, we praise you for your abiding presence from generation to generation, blessing your people, strengthening us to lives of service, empowering us to witness. Hear the prayers we offer on behalf of your creation. I will set the intention, Hear us, O God, and the response is, Your mercy is great. O God, Strengthen your church to do your work in the world. Remind us of your eternal presence so that we may share your peace and love with others. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Help us to maintain the balance of your creation by realizing our interconnection with the entire earth. Enable us to recognize the ways that we create damage and give us hope. To change our ways. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Draw leaders away from bitterness and into your ways of kindness and mercy. Replace blame and malice with forgiveness and justice. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Sustain all whose journey feels too hard to bear. Restore the hope of all who despair. Comfort those who are poor, oppressed, persecuted, or homeless. Heal the sick and comfort the grieving, especially those in Manchester, Marawi, Bangkok, Syria, and Egypt, as well as those we name before you now. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Bless this congregation that we may continue in your service to the community of Boston University and the city of Boston. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Grant that as we serve you now on earth, so we may one day rejoice with all the saints in your kingdom of light and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
0: The Peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We have a number of special events coming up here in June. they are noted in your bulletin. We would especially note the uh, presentation on planned giving next Sunday, June 4th, uh, at noon following the service downstairs in the Marsh Room, a summer reading discussion on June 11th, the annual Father's Day brunch on June 18th, and Vacation Bible School on June 25th. As we move into the summer months, uh, we, as usual, uh, in July and August, have our annual Summer Preacher Series. Again, this year's theme is New Directions in Discipleship. The schedule for that series can also be found in your bulletin and on the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Thomas Wilk's setting of part of Psalm 47, All People Clap Your Hands. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
1: Blessed triune God, receive these gifts for your service, and may your presence be ever felt in this place. Amen.
0: Where should it begin and where should it end? Its real purpose is first to create a scholar and in the end to create a sage. If you genuinely accumulate and earnestly practice for a long time, then you will become an initiate. Learning continues until death and only then does it stop. Thus, though the methods employed to learn come to a conclusion, the purpose of learning must never, even for an instant, be put aside. Go in peace to learn and to grow and to develop. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.